Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Wild Ones podcast, episode 33. This is the show where we chat about bike stuff. I'm Jimmy, and this week I'm back with pro bike mechanic Nick and producer Emily. Hello, hello. I'm going to jump straight into this one. So last week we talked about GCN being out of touch with their viewers on the cost of things. And we also talked about overpriced cycling clothing. We got a bunch of emails from a lot of you after the episode asking what we thought about GCN's new kit launch. So they've just released a new GCN branded premium kit. It's by a Dutch cycling clothing brand called Agu. And apparently it's an eye-wateringly expensive price. Well, I had a look. Short sleeve jersey and long sleeve thermal jersey is 140 pounds, which is 180 US dollars. The gilet is 165 pounds, which is 210 US dollars. Bib shorts 200 pounds, which is 255 US dollars. Uh, weirdly, there's a couple of items that are a lot cheaper comparatively to those. You've got the bib tights, which are 130 pound, 135 pounds even, which is 170 dollars, and a rain jacket, which is 120 pounds or 150 dollars. So on the website, they call this Pro Kit, and they say it's their fastest, most technical clothing. Uh, They do still offer a core jersey and shorts, which is £60. It looks like a pretty generic model, and they call it unisex. So ultimately, there's there's no women's Mm. version of the core range. Unisex bib shorts. No, no. How's that even possible? (laughs) I mean, I know you guys come from cycling clothing manufacturing background, but I come from a clothing buying background, <laughs> having the bike shop, doing custom kit, because we do custom kit for backyard. And we like to think it's premium as well. And we try to not buy the cheapest stuff, but something that's nice that people are going to enjoy and it's going to look good. But even the prices are just wild. You also then have to start thinking what your demographic is. Most of the guys in our club don't race. They ride for enjoyment. So you don't, bizarrely, the, generally speaking, the most expensive kit's going to be like a race fit aero, which isn't going to fit the average person that's i don't know you might know more but it's made for professional cyclists people that race i think you know gcn are absolutely massive and they therefore will have a proportion of their audience which are racery people or do a lot of riding or just want more aero if you want to call it that pro if you want to call it that kit um so i i i, I think it you know it's mm-hmm. fine for them to have a really expensive option that technically is aero slash pro slash whatever you want to call it. Um, but it does feel a little bit like they've, uh, they haven't put anywhere near the amount of effort into a more broader range or range that's more appropriate for their more broader audience. Um, but you know, how, how much of it is a deal and how much, you know, how, how much influence do they actually have on it? Who knows? I, I know. Uh, Jumbo Visma uses the same manufacturer for their kit. Yeah. Um, it looks good. Visma uh, Lisa bike now. I've looked at, they do bike packing bags as well, which are really nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's it, by all means do that, but just introduce something that's middle of the range as well then maybe. Yeah, I think they did two things wrong. I think, I mean, whatever, if you want to offer a really expensive kit, then that's your prerogative, I guess. I think they did two things wrong because I saw them teasing this kit and it was like, can't wait to see our brand new kit. And I think there probably wasn't enough marketing around 
I guess, a soft launch of the fact that it was going to be expensive. So I think that's a thing that took people by surprise. And also, I think if you're going to do that, probably fill out your core range a little bit more as well. So that it's like, yes, there is this and it's expensive, but there's also this, you know what I mean? It's, it's a yeah. kind of caveat. And I think that brings people in. I mean, they're not a clothing brand, but these things are going to affect them. Well, I th what I think is actually quite interesting about GCN is you really do, the more you start looking at them, the more you realize how much of a juggernaut they are. They're online shop has 250 products. Yes. So they basically are a clothing brand, aren't they? Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. But then at the same time, a good topic on this is, let's say the kit costs even more expensive. Nobody's being forced to buy it. No. If, they, if people are buying it at that price and they're selling loads, which makes it a viable thing to do, by then all means go ahead on it. It doesn't, there is a flip side, it's too expensive in my opinion, but you don't, if you don't wear GCN clothes, it's not a thing that you can't get somebody else. I mean, I, I think the issue with it as a brand, because yeah. obviously if you're buying GCN kit, you're buying it because you like the brand, you support the yeah. brand. They haven't done enough. In my opinion, I don't think they've done enough to represent what is probably the majority of the people that actually watch their audience. They've put a lot of effort into this really high-end premium kit, but they haven't put very much effort into an entry-level kit or a mid-range kit, if you want to call them that. Um, and I and I think that's what's probably unfair. From a female perspective, I, I mean, I just totally disagree with the idea of unisex shorts. I think when you, when you look at bib uh, pads, they just look so different and they perform so different. And while I don't think that you need gender-specific bikes, I think something like bib shorts do need to be gender-specific. So I would say if you are a woman there, really your option is to buy the expensive kit. However, realistically, probably something like 99.8% of their viewership is male, so maybe it's not a big deal. I guess the only thing to add is that the core range, it does not appear to be manufactured by Agu. It's no. just a generic white label product so you know it's not one of Agu's products um, so also on the topic of expensive stuff that you don't need Envy has just released a new one-piece bar and stem costing more than some complete bikes this has been doing the rounds in the press this week because it costs an eye-watering 1300 pounds or if you are in America a slightly reduced 1200 US dollars presumably because it's made there um, the AR bar has more than 20 size options, all with a flared profile and apparently features the latest in aerodynamic design, something called compute. I can never say this Nick, word. What's what it was called? it called? Computational fluid dynamics. Computational <laughs> fluid dynamics. So the bars run from 38 to 46 centimeters, which is pretty standard, and the stems run from 90 to 140 centimeters, again, pretty standard. Um, from they're available from Saddleback, and you can actually special order stem lengths in half centimeter increments. So that's actually quite interesting. Um, what's your thought on this, Nick? So, firstly, the CFD or computational fluid dynamics isn't—it's not a selling point. That's just loads of brands are doing that now to kind of work out what's going to be the most aerodynamic workspace instead of before going to wind tunnel, so they can run thousands of variations and then essentially work at what's going to be best, and then just obviously reassert it in a wind tunnel. So, so, a lot of brands so it's ultimately a, a more cost-effective yes. method uh, for aero testing. 1,300 quid is a lot of money. Uh, I don't completely understand it in terms of their handlebars usually reach off about 440 pounds, and the stems 330, which together is 770. How does it... Th those prices, is that for... A are they because I'm guessing they have slightly different handlebars and different stems, different bars, but generally this costs the same amount of money. All oh, right, okay, for the cool. different that's interesting. Ones, yeah. So, so 770 pounds ish for an individual bar and stem, which is yeah. firstly an astronomical amount of money, and then obviously the one piece is 1300 pounds in this country, which is a big step up again from that. Yes, so uh, it's easier doing individual handlebars and stems because you don't have to carry as many, you can do your five handlebar, sorry, your stem lengths. Easier then, for a shop? For a shop and for a brand. Yeah. Because obviously the more variations the of something yeah. you have to make, um, the more you have to store, the more you have to like set up for. Um, I was just shocked that it's going to be that much more. But then saying that, there's people on but we've already sold two of them. Have uh, you? Without people having seen them yet. Yeah. So. I mean, Envy are known as a premium yes. bike yeah. brand as well. So a lot of, presumably, some of this cost isn't, it's just 
because that's how much they charge for stuff. They're just premium. They just add yeah. money on because the, and, they can. And the, the quality is really, it's just yeah. really nice stuff. I mean, I like it. Uh, it's one of those things that it's not a must have. It just it looks a, great, doesn't it? Yeah. So if you, if you can afford it, by all means. Um, also, there's a lot of handlebars out there that's a lot cheaper um, and options. So it, it, nobody's being forced to buy this. This is just something they're making that is nice if, if you want it. Yeah, like, like like an Envy bar and stem is the thing that I have always wanted, but never even, I haven't even come close to considering buying uh, it. Generally speaking, if you crash with the handlebars or any of their products uh, and you're not doing it regularly, like every few weeks claiming, <laughs> they will look after you and replace what you've broken. Obviously, there's limitations. This is also uh, only valid to the original purchaser of the product with a proof of purchase. So you can't buy it secondhand or... But it does make a difference on an expensive product matter, yeah. if you have that. For somebody like me who snaps things all the time, you mean it's, it's a worthwhile investment. So we've got a customer, Dave, um, who's got a set of Zip 353s, which are eye-wateringly expensive wheels at £3,500, I think. Wow. Um, he had the wheels for about three weeks, went on a club ride, was taking a photo and not paying attention where he was going, um, and rode into one of the other lads in the club's wheel in front of him into the rear mech, oh. uh, ripped the spoke and a piece of the carbon out of the front wheel. We rang Zip. You write a whole report on exactly what happened. We're, we're not lying to them. We're telling them exactly what happened. And they replaced the wheel with a new wheel within two weeks. Fair enough. I think good customer service and after sales customer service is a very undervalued thing for a brand. I think if you take care of your customers in the long run, it's always going to make okay. you more money, even if you have to give up a little bit of product. I've got a short another story where we had a customer where we're convinced he left the wheel against some kind of heat source because the carbon just melted on the sides. He claims that he was just riding along, but you can clearly see that it wasn't zip replied saying, it's not a warranty because they can see that it wasn't a, a riding incident. Mm. Uh, they have a clause in there that they only cover stuff where you've been riding the bikes. If your bike was on top of the roof of a car and you drove into a wall, they're not going to pay for that. But on his, in that case, they still said, we'll do a courtesy warranty and they gave him a new wheel. Mm. They didn't have to. There's always going to be expensive stuff and, and there's always going to be a small proportion of people which are willing and capable of spending that money, which is fine. Mm. But I think the bit which is uh, the bit that we don't like is the way that some stuff is marketed that suggests that that's what you should have or you have to have. And what we like to do is push back and go, well, it isn't. It it represents the the biggest minority that you can... Biggest minorities that are oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> it represents a very small proportion of people but that is fine, you know. There are, there's always going to be rich people that are going to be like, oh, a £1,300 bar, cool, that's for me. That's what I like about Envy, though, because none of the claims were that this is the best handlebar. They're not trying yeah. to say it's the most aero or something you need to have to have save all these watts and stuff. Um, that bar is actually designed to be really comfortable. Um, yeah, and then it says 20 variations, but that's just the variations that you can buy uh, directly in the UK at the moment. They do another 25 other sizes which goes up in half sizes if you want to be really specific about your bike fit that you can get um and, and you I probably think, do for that yeah. money to so be 45 fair. different variations of the handlebar is what makes it really expensive because it's not like you can have a 100 mil stem and a 38 mil bar and then combine them you have to buy for every single stem length you have to then make handlebar width as well mm. so aside from 1300 pound aero bars there's another hot aero trend this year something that has been dubbed aerodynamics i think that is a great name i hate it but i love it at the same <laughs> time so pro riders have been spotted wearing odd looking road helmets from pock and cask which cover the ears um the pictures i've looked at is kind of like just sort of the top of the, the top, ear yeah. covers the sunglasses arm they look more like they belong in a time trial but it's thought that they are the new aero lids which will feature more and more in the Pro Peloton this year. Have you had a look at them, Nick? Yes, I've seen them. Looks ridiculous, but <laughs> I like this. Well, I don't, see, I think the POC one looks disgusting, but all POC helmets look disgusting. The CAS one looks really <laughs> neat. I like the CAS no, one. It's good. <laughs> don't, it's not. So, uh, actually, I spoke to one of the head designers of POC about this before. Last year when you and I were in London, actually, and you slept in and I went to the presentation. Um, POC is a bizarre company that came from skiing. 
um, and they started doing helmets. And they actually, their first helmet, they did the, uh, well, cycling road helmet, the Octal. The big thing with them is nobody in the actual office and team was road cyclists. They were all mountain bikers and skiers. And if you look at most helmets, follow the whole banana-shaped model in terms of it looks like bananas in a row. Pock kind of came out of the, from the sideline and just kind of redesigned the way helmets are made. Come with new things. And I think this is happening with this as well, where for aerodynamics and at racing, they don't really care what they look like. They just want to make the fastest helmet um, or the safest helmet in terms of the road bikes. So it doesn't follow like a strict guideline of what has been done for years and years and years, which almost every other helmet brand. And that's what I like about Pock, that it's ugly. It's not ugly. I love my Puck helmet. I think it's just, it's different. They famously do that one that kind of, it almost looks like a little Napoleon yes. hat, doesn't it? It sort of bends out of the side. The, the Tempo, that was specifically made for one person and then tested really well. But then they realized eventually that it only tests well if you can ride in a certain position. Yeah. But it's so popular that Puck kept on making it. Um, so this helmet, yeah, is, it's not designed for your everyday person. It's just designed for racing and aerodynamics. And like with the tempers, while well, you, you look say like it's an not idiot. designed for your everyday person, but these things trickle down so much yeah. that I can imagine a select group of people who go for that aero sort of look potentially getting one of these. It's the, the the cask one is is very likely the helmet that I would have bought ten years ago because mm. it actually looks quite neat, and it's presumably got some kind of absolutely minuscule aero advantage, which is something that I did care about once upon a time. <laughs> Now I have no interest. Th this is this is something that's going to be a thing every year because every year at one of the Grand Tours, somebody comes up with a ridiculous looking aero helmet. It happened last year as well. I can't remember the brand, but there's always something that comes out crazy because they just, they don't think about what looks the best for this. They just think of what's going to be the fastest. I wonder safest. what it's like to have glasses underneath because as a glasses wearer, it's the reason I wear my contacts when we do this podcast because I also wear earphones over the top. And I feel like if I've got my glasses and then I have something else, like a hat or something over the top, my ears and my head start to ache off the pressure of the glasses and then something else over the top. I wonder if that does that. Oh, these come with magnetic visors. No, no, if on. you look at the cask one, though, if you scroll down, he's just got some sun gods on underneath his... Yeah, it's oh, just, okay, that's, sorry, a, yeah, that's a normal yeah. helmet. I can't remember what model it is, but that's, yeah, it's just, that's a normal cask helmet that's got like a lowered... Yeah. Almost like fender And I think that's side. what the point of these is, isn't it? It's not a time trial helmet. It's the first time that a more aerodynamic ear thing has come into the road Yeah, it's, it's 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 the evolution of the road aero helmet for sure. Because yeah. I remember uh, Cass, uh, no, Met, Mets brought out the Manta, which was like, I had one of them because I, I, I thought it was wicked. And it was basically just like a bowl which goes on the top. There's yeah. loads of other variations of it. And th this this feels like it's the evolution of that. It's got a very, or at least the cask one I'm looking at here, a tiny bit of ventilation in the front. It's got elongated slightly. It's got these slight ear covery bits on the top. The POC one looks like a TT helmet. And if you're saying it's got a clip-on visor, then it basically is a TT helmet that yeah. we're going to see more people using. But I, I, th I think we're going to see more of this. I don't think, I don't think it lasts though. Really? Because Jiro did the air attack years ago which was a similar thing. Time, uh, I mean, I actually had one for like triathletes and everybody used it. Um, and then Casco brought out one that is similar as well that was used on the velodrome a lot. Um, and the aerodynamics of it is massive. They, they, back then they had a claim where one of those helmets gave you 11 times the benefit instead of Zip 808 at the time would have given you. So for a fraction of the cost, you're getting a lot more speed than what wheels were doing. I'm willing to bet and this is a huge amount of speculation, that they ended up retesting all of that stuff and found out it wasn't as good as it was originally <laughs> Well, claimed. no, because it's like all these, this testing, it's what metric you're using, when from the front or from the side, and they, they keep coming up with new things. So it's, yes, but that's why, I mean, I not, not, haven't been quiet about aerodynamics being a bit of a, depends on, depends on who you're speaking to who's riding the bike. It's not something that's just, you can't copy it for everyone, also what speed. Um, but talking about all these helmets is, these kind of semi-TT helmets have been a thing for years. The average person is not buying it to go on a club ride. Uh, I know brands like Puck will be bringing out a new Aero helmet as well eventually this year. I, th I think you're wrong. I think people will buy this cask one because this cask one looks like a normal helmet, but it's an Aero helmet. So people will buy that cask one because they're going to get 0.1 of a watt saving. 
but not look like a whopper with the pot like they would if they had the pock one. <laughs> well, that's, that's debatable. Um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Next, we have Nick's favorite cleaning brand, Muckoff, which has <laughs> been in the crossfires this week after a controversial advert they posted online. The advert was for their new silicon cleaning gloves and featured a spoof video of a guy suggestively cleaning his bike. The clip features lots of close-up rubbing, massaging, and poking in various crevices on the bike. <laughs> the caption alongside it said, Give that grime a beating with both hands. Gross. Clearly intended to be a harmless joke, it prompted comments like, Our bikes are wet and ready, and just finger blast it until it sparkles. <laughs> oh, what the hell is wrong with people, man? <laughs> However, it also caused a lot of backlash and made many, particularly women, feel uncomfortable. It was branded outdated, non-inclusive and damaging to the industry. One of the top comments reads, It's 2024. Surely you could come up with a marketing plan that was more inclusive to anyone other than basic men who like to over-sexualize everything. Yes, it may get the likes and engagement, but is this really the only target audience you want your brand to attract? Because it definitely repulses a lot of other audience who also need to clean their bikes. Another said... Tell us your marketing team is all men without telling us your marketing team is all men. That's a great one. <laughs> so this big, so this week's big question, are people overreacting? What we do know is until very recently, Muckoff's global head of marketing is a lass called Holly that we know and she's amazing. And she recently quit and wrote a big article about why she's quitting the bike industry. I think she referenced um, their maternity policies as part of that. Yeah, I don't think she was specifically referring to Muckoff, but just the, the, the industry generally. Uh, time off and flexible hours and childcare and maternity cover and all of that kind of stuff is just not up to date, which is interesting. Um, on the topic of are people overreacting, uh, I was having to think about this last night when I put something together and... I have to say, personally, I didn't watch it and get immediately offended. I didn't get offended, no. but I, I did. I, I was... It's gross, isn't it? It's not like... Yeah, it's just like... Whoa, I can't say whoa. I laughed. I can't say I found it that funny, but it's just kind of... All, my, my immediate reaction definitely wasn't outrage. However, I had to think about it, and it's definitely... I, I can understand the reasons why many people, especially women, would find it uncomfortable rather than just the surface of it's sexual. Um, and I think there's probably also a lot of people, particularly men, that will be confused by this reaction and outrage because there was plenty of comments that were like, oh, it's just a joke, take a joke, da-da-da. Um, and it's understandable to, to some degree because I think the issue that the video raises isn't really something that they will have to deal with in real life. And that is the fact that a lot of women don't feel safe in cycling spaces. And one of the predominant reasons for this is the fear of harassment and unwanted attention, unwanted sexual attention. And I think this advert probably unintentionally sort of plays into that exact fear. So like, I'm not going to speak for all women. I don't think that anyone should, but I think a lot of us go through day-to-day -day life very on guard and very hyper aware of threat that's posed by men. And sorry, guys, it's not all of you. We know that. But the problem is we don't know which ones it is. So you have to just be on guard. Um, and that's because many of us do deal with unwanted sexual attention while merely just trying to exist in a very non-sexual setting. So riding a bike, jogging, dancing with your mates, walking home alone. And what we learn is very quickly that hyper-masculine and very hyper-sexualized spaces are not generally safe spaces for women because they tend to be a hotbed for this kind of unwanted interaction. Obviously, cycling is very male-dominated and women are a minority in these spaces. And because of this, you end up being the target of harassment sometimes. I have stories. I know a lot of my female cycling friends have similar stories of harassment and we're not talking about unwanted attention in terms of someone's just trying to have a chat with you about your day I mean um so for example I have a story I was uh on my own doing laps of Richmond Park and a guy cycled up to me and he's just kind of gone hi and I, hi okay yeah yeah fine whatever 
and he kept going in front of me and then he kept dropping back and going high and then coming behind me and he started to ask me questions and what I realized quite quickly is he was starting he was like are you on Strava what's your name and that was a red flag because it's like okay that's location based you're trying to find out more about me he wants to know my name it just felt very like red flags and what I realized very quickly he was he was demonstrating that no matter what pace I was going at, he could keep up with me. He could go faster than me and he was not leaving me alone. And I said, do you know what? I'm just trying to train. I, I'm, I'm busy. I'm just going to put my head down and get to it. And he just would not leave me alone. And in that scenario, you're on your own. You don't know what to do. And, you know, while an advert of a man just washing his bike suggestively doesn't really have anything to do with that, making an advert about something that's very non-suggestive and very innocuous and making it sexual basically makes pe- women want to exclude themselves from that space because it automatically feels unsafe. The sort of responses it creates, um, you know, like the sort of, oh, get in there and blah, 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 blah. It just feels very unsafe. And you go, I don't want to be part of this just in case kind of thing. And I think that's probably the reason it's labeled uninclusive. Yeah. So what's really fun banter to one group becomes... Um, exclusionary or self-exclusionary to another group I don't know I guess I can I can understand why women would feel uncomfortable with that and I guess that is if they want to decide that that's not their problem and if you know you either fit in or f off kind of vibes then that's fine but it's not a great look for a brand is it really it's it's just it's just very vulgar yeah and that that was my my thoughts of it I think 30 years ago that ad would have come out exactly like that and yeah. it would have been really popular and everyone would have been like, oh, it's a great ad. Whereas like society has moved on significantly since then. Yeah. Like it's it's lazy, it's weak, it's vulgar. Be more intelligent. That, that's my thoughts on it. Obviously on a side note on this, back in the day, adverts, there wasn't social media, things didn't come out as quickly. So if you wanted to go on TV or newspaper, you made an advert, it cost money. You then put it in a focus group. So you have people actually commenting it afterwards. And based on that, um, my mother works in advertising. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid going with her every week to Ogilvy and Mather and sit through. And then they test things. It's not just wildly stick stuff out because they've massively missed the mark with this one, I think. For me personally, watching the video, the first thing I just thought is, that mist going to ruin your bike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, sorry, so I, I missed the whole context of that. But obviously, because yeah. it's, it's I'm not a yeah, yeah. I'm not a girl, so I don't understand. Yeah, But I just instantly looked at it and think, thought to myself, well, like... That's not how you wash a bike, firstly. And secondly, <laughs> there are loads of gloves out there for washing bikes with uh, they're like soft kind of microfiber mitts that you use. Um, a lot of companies make them. They work really well. But a rubber glove like that on a bike with muck-off stuff is just another product they've brought out that's going to ruin your bike. Why Why is that one bad? Because it's silicon. all the dirt. Because they didn't mind bikes well, so I'll just drag all the dirt across your paint, mm. which will just scratch it. Um, that's not how you wash a bike. So we're actually saying it's a lazy product as well as lazy yeah, yeah. It's advertising. It's a lazy product. Um, it's, it's one of those things where which it's killing me with that marketing teams. Um, they're just not thinking things through. On You are totally right in, in what you're saying about the, the immediacy and the pressure to be on social media, have reels, go viral, do all of this stuff. It takes away that layer of how many channels you'd have to go through. I also think there's, I mean, I don't know if they're doing any kind of market research or testing, but if that testing is all internal in your company, then you're also not getting a very unbiased opinion. Like if the head of someone goes to a junior what do you think of person, this? female, whatever, and goes, what do you think of that? What's your answer going to be? Oh yeah, it's great because you've got lots of people around you going, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. I guess if you actually properly focus group that you might get other feedback but you just don't have time to do that in a world of social media do you annoys me because there's companies making excellent product but they don't have this wild crazy marketing shock value thing yeah and then in the end the end consumer is just not getting the right stuff they keep buying it and it's just uh obviously i feel really angry about this because it makes my life harder i've had two bikes in this week where i had to wash them three or four times to try and get the chains clean it gets to a point now where you're just telling the customer like your chains are not going to be clean change your oil or mm. this is how you're getting your bike back. So, something we have always done with Atticus, it's something that uh, our style of work, so me and Emily, we've obviously worked together on various projects over the years. Something we always did with Atticus when we used to own Atticus and something we do all the time with Cade Media as well is we define what our brand is, who we were talking to, how we talk about those things, what's important. 
And everything we do, we refer back to that. And this feels like an example of we need to make more money. All right, this product will do. Just get some marketing out there. Yeah. And no one has gone, well, who's the product for? How is it used? How how do we, does this advert actually advertise our brand and our products in the correct way? They've just kind of gone, they've just thrown it out without actually doing any level of like referring back to some kind of branding or, or, or style. I, I'm sorry, but I mean, I've had loads of debates with a few brands and distributors this week about marketing and this is a massive problem. Half the people working in this industry in marketing don't come from a marketing background. They just worked in the company. They did a few things. Uh, maybe you're good on social media or something like that. And all of a sudden with that, it's credentials and you just get promoted internally to do this stuff. And it's a bit of a, yeah. Uh, it's annoying. People are but paying I, don't, I don't see a problem with that. If like That doesn't mean you, you haven't got appropriate skill. No, but it's... But then things are getting missed as well. You can't just... I think sometimes that comes down to lack of diversity of work team. It's into that, tell me your team is all men without telling me your team is all men. I had a quick uh, look on LinkedIn and I could not find uh, any uh, female marketing people at Muckoff who display themselves on LinkedIn. That might not be true, but from what I could see, there was a lot of guys' names there. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like... I think you have to accept that the bike industry is very, very, very predominantly men. However, when you have a diverse workforce, sometimes what happens is you pick up stuff that you miss. Like I'm not expecting you guys to know what you go through as a woman or we can't know what um, people who aren't white go through, you know, like you, you don't, you don't have that lived experience and that's also fine, but that's kind of why you need diversity of thought and opinion. I do think there'll be a lot of people who watch this video and probably who listen to this as well, who do think that their people are overreacting. There's a lot of people who are like anti-walk and all of that kind of thing. And I don't know, it doesn't affect, if you feel it doesn't affect you and you don't understand why people are upset, then fine. If that's how you want to live your life, I don't know. Which like, is fine. Yeah. And what I say to that is off and stop saying oh it's the woke police again. Like people are allowed to be upset and they're allowed to be offended. So let them be rather than being a yeah i don't know i like as i say i what i didn't i am a woman i watched this and i wasn't immediately offended but it, the first thing i thought is i wonder why people are offended and i don't know I, I like to try and think about why that is and you broaden your knowledge and if if i can make if i can make sure my actions make other people less uncomfortable i would always want to do that you when i showed you this you made a really good comment nick which was you are the least work walk person yes. ever. But so, well, that's again, I don't think it's the work side of things isn't what's upsetting me on the thing. I'm just upset that it's going to scratch your bike. <laughs> um, I'm just annoyed at like, I could, I could possibly, if I think about it more, because I would have been one of the people who don't think about it enough. Yeah. And now, but obviously for this topic, because you, you, this is the one thing you told me about in advance yeah. to think about is it's more of a, you've, are you making the advert just of shock value? Yeah. Because surely, or, it all comes back again. You are a cleaning company, a bike maintenance company, if you want to call it that. Surely you should, somebody in that company knows that that's a terrible product. <laughs> and they still made the advert. So did they make the product so they can make the advert? Because in no way did you sit down and design this whole thing, make it and think, this is a good idea. This is how we're going to wash bikes and not destroy them. But you <laughs> sent me a message as well that says, because I said to you, look, this is what we're going to talk about. If you don't have any thoughts on it don't worry because I've had to think about it and I can lead it if you want but also if you're really if you want to go against me in the anti uh, uh, me in the walk brigade then bring it on I'll have a, I'll have a chat with you kind of thing and you wrote back to me I am the least walk person ever but also you're surely not a good brand if you're just willing to make people feel uncomfortable like it's just not good marketing but yeah it's but that's what I mean you're going for shock value yeah, it is, I guess. Oh, it's just lack of thought. I don't even know if they're meaning to offend. I do think in some circumstances there are people that are too easily offended by stuff. Yeah. But I do then think in that circumstance, if you could, there's different situations if you yeah. can take yourself out of the situation. And yeah. You don't. The, I, I actually think part of the problem is social media or how social media has now impacted it. You've got the comments that people are able to make are just like outrageous. Like I... We, we generally don't look at the comments on YouTube videos because there's a proportion of people which are just just offensive for no reason whatsoever. And I mistakenly look <laughs> at the comments of one of our podcasts the other day 
And one of the first comments was some idiot saying something like, oh, what, what? He, he was basically ranting about how much he hates me and how annoying I am. But he still watched the video. <laughs> what, can't, what, can't, like, I, I just, I don't understand what kind of person sits on their computer or on their phone and goes like, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm such a miserable person. I'm just going to rant about how horrible this person, like people are just, some, some people are just shit. And I think that is who this muck off advert is for those people. And they are a minority. I, I, I love it because I mean, that one video on your channel, the, not the podcast, but on YouTube. Uh, about things that I hate. <laughs> um, the amount of comments, I mean, there's like one and a half thousand comments on there, but then also the amounts of abuse that I get off people on there. And I just think to myself, you watched the whole video. Yeah. But, 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 there's, but there's a difference. There's having, having a difference in opinion oh, is, is fine. something. Yeah, yeah. But like the amount of people which, which think it's okay just to like, like can you imagine walking up to someone in the street and going like, Oh God, you're ugly. Uh, but I can guarantee, <laughs> I can guarantee you none of them will do that in person. No, well, exactly. Yeah, that's like, like the bravery, and that, and that's the bravery of, of being in your car, <laughs> shouting abuse at other cars. Or you I, do have to have a thick skin in this job, and there's not many jobs where you get feedback from your audience to such um, a degree as you do here. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like. Come see it to my face. <laughs> so if anyone wants to start a fight with Jimmy in the comments this week, he's going to read them all and you can say it to his I'm face. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I, th I think the rule should be write it if you'd be willing to say it to that person's face. And then when you do, if you are ever in that person, I, I wish I sometimes think I'll, I'll write these down with their names. And one day I'll probably see one of these people and be like, all oh, right, yeah, you're the person that said, um, too fat to wear aero kit. All oh, right, okay. You can say that again. <laughs> See, for me, I enjoy that. I enjoy that because if people agree with you, that's good. But at the same time, it gives you nothing. When, let's say, disagree. I'm not saying nasty comments, but people disagree on a lot of stuff that I say, like mud gods, and I completely get it. But I like it because it just gives me more stuff to think about. And it gives me a chance to change my mind. Somebody gives me a really good reason i'm always going to listen to it and think okay that makes a lot of sense so yeah you've got a good point that's that's a plus point for the other side i, I always I like it. debate debate is a great thing ever i always welcome feedback and comments differing opinions is perfectly fine but when but I, i'm specifically talking about talking about stuff which is just like unrelated or or needless for example oh, yeah. on the muck off thing some of the comments or probably a lot of the comments will actually be people being offended at people being offended. Oh, yeah, people are yeah. allowed to be offended, but being offended about someone being offended is just like, it's, it's a dictatorship. Right. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, time for another round of overrated or underrated. I'm going to read out a list of things and you are going to tell me if they are overrated or underrated. First up, we have a suggestion from Alex about Girona. So, I found Girona to be overrated. It's nice, but almost everywhere in Spain is nice to ride bikes, but a lot of places are cheaper, less busy, in brackets with influences, and have great food too. So is Girona overrated? My, I've never been there myself. I've been to Barcelona. I've ridden a decent chunk of that coast and it is all very, very nice. Uh, the pictures I've seen from lots of my friends that have been to a Girona, it looks pretty basic. It's definitely not somewhere people are going because it looks beautiful. It looks the same as a lot of places in Spain. Um, 
Apparently, the riding is very good. Historically, lots of pros used to go there because it was quiet, but it had a lot of variety in the style of riding. And I think that's probably why it's become very popular. I've never been, so I'm not qualified to comment. But this has come up in the bike shop quite a few times. James Jobber that works for me uh, races for Conti team, usually one's based in Asia. So he he's really lucky in terms of that kid just rides in the nicest places around the world, like Guadeloupe. In the South Pacific, he rides in the Caribbean every year. He's done, last year it was Poland, France, Bulgaria. He races in Taiwan. He raced in China. He did uh, the tour of Saudi Saudi Arabia. So he, he rides everywhere. And loads of people always ask him in the shop because he's always way, where's the nicest place you've ever ridden your bike? And his answer, 100% is always Girona. He loves them more. He's not an influencer mm. or anything like that. He just really likes the roads riding over there and it's so, specifically the riding rather than the no no he's not a coffee or yeah. any kind of fancy person like he's that kid loves to ride his bike because isn't that the thing about girona it's got like little cycling specific cafes and shops and that oh, yeah, sort no, of but, thing well there's a couple there it's not it's yeah. not a huge scene it's it's obviously grown recently because it's become popular but did historically, it become it a substitute to mallorca because mallorca was very busy it, it became popular because lots of pro teams used to go there. Right. And and I believe the reason, and this is actually one, I've spoken to James about it as well. I believe the reason it's popular is that you can get a lot of variety in riding in a very small space. So you can do flat rides, you can do mountain rides, you can do gravel rides. You, you know, you can do lots of different types of training from one base. Whereas, for example, if you go to Tenerife, you're going to get a oh, lot of altitude you're training. You're just riding a blooming yeah. mountain But the that's whole about time. it. That's, yeah. all, that's all you're going to get. Whereas you can go to Drona and you can you can do your easy rides, you can do your hard rides. Yeah. When I was in the infantry, we did for the infantry cycle, sorry, for the army cycling champs, the infantry sent us all to uh, the Pyrenees for two weeks to train on a training camp. And I must say some of the nicest places that I rode was near Andorra and closer to Barcelona and Girona. So I just assume if that is what the scenery is like over there, it was just really nice to ride your bike. Um, I've always found... Once again, I haven't been, so I'm not a... But just from looking at the climbs and things in Mallorca, everybody loves to go there. I'd like to go and see what it's like. I just don't think the climbs are big enough. Well, you want to go to Tenerife then? It almost comes down... I mean, people like different things on holiday. Some people don't like to be bothered. Some people want to be around hustle and bustle. But it's one of those things as well, and I always think it with films. If you see that a film is really highly rated, you usually watch it and are disappointed. If you just find something and you know nothing about it and you go and you're like, Oh, and you watch it and you're like, oh, that was actually really, really good. Sometimes overhyping can make you like stuff less. If you're yeah. going there thinking it's the best place on earth, it probably isn't going to be. So I think yeah. it probably is overrated. However, I don't exactly know. Oh, what I can definitely say is underrated is cycling in Spain. So I've, I, I've started in Alicante and I made it as far as I can't actually remember what it's called until I got food poisoning. And the whole of that east coast of Spain is just, it, it isn't amazing to look at but the roads are good cars generally stay away from you there's climbs there's not climbs the coast is beautiful there's loads of food options riding in spain i think is massively underrated the context of this is we live in the uk and it's really cheap to get i don't know a flight a ryanair flight over to spain and go and ride if you're in the us listening to this do not think that you need to go to Girona or Spain <laughs> because it's the greatest place oh on earth. You know what I mean? So you'd, you'd have such an anticlimax going to Girona from America. If you live yeah. in the US, you're going to fly somewhere to ride a bike. It's 100% Newcastle <laughs> gravel because this is where everything happens. Next up, we have, uh, and this is one for Nick. We've actually, I'm pretty sure we've covered this previously, or at the very least, Francis and I have had a conversation about it. But I think with Nick being here, being a bike shop owner and a mechanic for a bazillion years, it's a good point of view or a good angle to come from. Direct to consumer brands. Overrated. I say this from a bike shop's perspective. Um, they want to have their cake and eat it. And I suppose that is fine. But constantly we have issues. I'm going to use Canyon as an example. Wiggle is an example for the online as well. They sell things to people and they aren't able to offer proper after service. So something's broken and the always answer is take it back to your local bike shop. But these brands are actively trying to kill local bike shops, but they still expect us to help them. 
Are they, well, they're not, not, they're not actively trying to kill bike shops. Well, they are, because they're trying to cut out the but, bike shops. But what they are doing is likely to kill. They, well, I, guess, I guess they have to have an awareness that what they are doing will have an impact on I, bike I shops. I can guarantee you, if you ask Canyon, can we sell, can, are you, would you, what's your end goal would be to sell everybody their bikes and make sure people only buy from them, which is, yeah. Uh, you, you're seeing it on the forums more and more, like bike shops saying they're going to stop selling stuff. They're just going to work as service centers. But then it's, yeah. Um, the big thing is that you're buying stuff from there. It is better priced most of the time, but at the same time, it's when you need help or advice or somebody like, it's just, you still have to go to the bike shops. I know I'm biased. I completely understand that. Well, yeah, I guess the problem with this is from a consumer's point of view, they get, they think, well, I'm getting a better deal if I buy a bike from someone like Canyon. So that's not my problem. Yeah. Um, and if you don't want to service my bike, find someone else will. You're not always getting a better deal, though. That's the one thing I keep trying to tell to people because in some instances, uh, people go off, back in the day, everybody went off pricing of group sets. It's still a massive thing where somebody says, oh, it's got an Altegra group set. And you just assume whatever bike's got an Altegra group set should cost this much. And then that would be a cheaper bike. And it's, yes, but you, you can't just go off the group set. What are you getting for the rest of the bike? Um, we've seen with custom builds as well. If you're buying a very expensive bike, you could buy something for cheaper on there, but then you instantly have to change what wheels you want, what tires you want, what handlebar, length stem. I think Canyon's getting better with that, but it's just more of a, yeah, I'm biased. It's it's, it's killing bike shops um, and it's overrated. I do agree. It will be having an impact on some bike some regions because there's going to be certain shops which are impacted more than others just because that's how things work like like canyon selling however many bikes doesn't have an impact on you uh not as much it, it, or it might have an impact but it'll be an insignificant impact whereas a bike shop which sells predominantly sells one thousand to three thousand pound bikes will definitely feel more of an impact than someone like yourself, which yeah. sells a lot of high-end custom builds. We're not the norm. Like as a bike shop, we've been very fortunate and we are completely, we do only custom. We deal in niche. We only do drop bar road and gravel bikes. We don't deal with anything else. We don't stock bikes in either. By not stocking bikes in, we're not pressured to sell a customer something because we're overstocked and stuff. So you, you don't get the case of I've got 40 bikes in the shop. You come in to buy a bike. And technically the, the right bike we don't have, but then as a bike shop, you think, oh, I have to sell one of these bikes because if I don't sell it, I'm going to be stuck with it. Which mm -hmm. is a lot and of people's pay. pet yeah. peeves Which is with the problem. bike shops. Yeah. So then all of a sudden the bike's selling in the wrong bike. So we don't have that. We, we've got a stock in group sets now because it's easy and I need stock of them, but it's I'm not pressured to sell you any of that. Um, and then the frame sets we just order in. At the moment, I think we've got three frame sets in that's not sold, but they're all ordered in my size. <laughs> kind of showing it's kind of, but it's just to show people some stuff but i'm not pressured to sell them they're not year specific models either um but yeah the online bike shops is sorry the direct consumer is killing the the traditional bike shop yeah by trying to undercut yeah. them for all these things and then expecting we get phone calls of people saying oh, i've bought these wheels of wiggle uh they're not true straight away um you've got to wiggles just said i should bring it to you to have a trude and they'll pay you. And they, they tell us how much they're paying us, which is another thing that gets me. We, we've done a canyon before where they've had those extendable bars. It's come in, the bar was cracked day one. So then canyon sent the guy to us and then said, we will pay you this much. I'm like, well, you can't dictate how much you're paying the shop because it was less than what we would have charged to have it fixed. And then that came, fitted, and that one cracked straight away again. So the guy got to say, and the second time we just said, I'm sorry, just send it back to canyon. Then the customer says to you that, well, it's not convenient to send it back to Canyon. You're like, but you can't, you wanted the convenience of buying it from them. You can't have best of both worlds, the convenience of buying it from the online, but then also wanting convenience of just taking it to your local bike shop when you've got a problem. It's a bit of, well, there needs to be a you, balance. You of, surely can, but you can't assume that it's not going to be expensive yeah. to fix. But so so yeah. like, like if, like you can charge whatever you want, but then the customer can go to any bike shop that they want. So like ultimately, if someone is buying something from a brand like Canyon, they just need to be aware that if stuff goes wrong, they might have to find a solution yeah. and pay money to fix it. Exactly. Um, yeah. What I actually think a lot of people miss is 
There are a hell of a lot of good independent bike shops. There are also a lot of rubbish bike shops out there. If and I, there, yeah. the, the annoying thing is there isn't an easy way of working out what's what. If you do find a good independent bike shop, then you're going to get va- as much value from buying a bike from them as you are buying a Canyon. Like I know if I'm buying a bike off you, excluding the fact that you're my mate and you'll do me a good deal. Or a, a better example is I know you've sold bikes to customers that are not your mates that are unbelievably good value because you understand the bigger process oh. and they would get the same value on the surface if they were buying one from Canyon, but they don't then get all of the additional aftercare. We've started doing a new thing in the shop, which has been quite good. It's just to kind of give us an idea of what's happening, but also the customer way. Every day I get one of our customers coming in saying, oh, this is wrong or that, or some small problem they've had, they've bent a metal hanger or they've had a puncture or uh, Ladine's quite a good example, tubeless top up. And then most of the time I'll just do it for free. Um, but what I've started doing now is I do stick it through the till still against their name with the charge zeroed out just to kind of track the discounts. Um, and there's somebody like Chris who, you know, one of the club members we worked at, he's had something like £6,000 worth of discount this year already for free. <laughs> if you add it all up, it's kind of, well, yes, if your initial bike was two or £300 more expensive, over a year or so with small things you need doing to your bike, you've won again. Massively. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've massive, massively won on what, yeah. Um, so that's... The, the anomaly is the person that buys a bike and has no issues with it. Yeah, which which does happen as well. Which does occasionally happen. So some there are people out there that will buy D 2 C bike brands off the internet. They're gonna have zero issues, and they're gonna go, well, why wouldn't I do this? I'm getting better value. And I I understand in some rural areas where you live, and there's no bike shop nearby you, and it's you need to get a bike to you. But it's yeah, just in terms of it's not the the end solution. If all the bike shops disappeared. It's going to be a problem for people. Next up, proper coffee. Overrated. So I, I guess <laughs> I guess the I guess by proper coffee, what we're saying is like a proper coffee machine in a coffee shop with fancy beans. Third wave is that that's, that's the name for it, isn't it? Third wave coffee. Is that what we're talking about? I proper think coffee? so. Yeah. Um, <sighs> there is a point where you, Jimmy. <laughs> He was obsessed. Nearly, nearly bought a coffee shop oh, because God. I was so obsessed with coffee. He was obsessed with coffee. <laughs> I've got a coffee shop and an 11,500 pound coffee machine with roasters <laughs> and a 2,000 pound pour over grinder and all these things. And it's all good. And I'm not going to lie to you. In the morning at home, I have Lidl's coffee, whatever the brand's called. Like, I don't know what they do with their own thing. Instant coffee with a sugar in it and mm. a taste beautiful yeah. and like even this morning we had proper coffee from the bike shop and from tiny tiny downstairs which makes lovely coffee it's really good but i was really sad that i missed on my instant coffee this morning because <laughs> we ran out um I, I i get it people love it just for me personally it's nothing like a i like an instant coffee it is without a doubt overrated but I do enjoy the experience of a good coffee, preferably with a super fancy almond croissant. What I discovered is, uh, so I don't really, I don't drink coffee because, uh, I don't know, I think I'm very sensitive to caffeine and it makes me feel like I'm having a heart attack. Um, But what I discovered is lots of people really, really rely on coffee. And the point where that became apparent was on day two of our um, extended coast to coast route. So me and a couple of lasses, did this extended course to course and it was 100k the first day and something like 170k the next day and day two um it was also like 30 degrees outside as well it was boiling and i we, we started kind of in the center which was in the middle of nowhere and we were riding in the middle of nowhere i think and, it was alston wasn't it yeah and i hadn't planned any coffee stops along the route because i was like okay we know there's nowhere to stop so just have your food and have your drink on your bike and we'll be fine and i made enemies that day because I hadn't <laughs> planned in caffeine. any caffeine stops and it just completely didn't pass my mind but there was there was some evil oh, looks uh, <laughs> that I was getting I was angry I'm massively addicted to caffeine yeah. I mean I have about seven coffees a day in the bike shop I just knock on the window now to Lewis and he just comes around with it it's really good so we used to do quite a lot of bike packing and I used to buy pro plus just to simplify everything because I've, I've been bike packing and I've taken a hand grinder yeah. and <laughs> Uh, a brewing kit 
uh, an aero press and things like that. So literally whilst we're bikepacking, I could like brew coffees in the morning, but also throughout the day. But then I was just like, Pro Plus makes sense. And then I started buying Pro Plus. You have a couple of Pro Plus and all of a sudden you just don't think about needing caffeine. It, honestly, it's so good. It's one of the it's most the addictive best. things in the world. But yeah, it is, it, is, it is definitely what made me realize how addicted to, to caffeine I was. So I was used to think that I really liked coffee, but I, did, it's, I actually <laughs> don't care about coffee. I historically was very addicted to caffeine. caffeine. <laughs> right, last on the list is... I don't know why this is in there, but I feel like it's targeted at me. Formal, or oh, suits, formal wear. I feel like this is something Francis suggested before he oh, went away it? and it just never got done. He, he must have been thinking about it because of the secret reason or one of the secret reasons of him going away. Yeah. Um, with him buying suits and things like that. Uh, I think it is massively underrated. I love formal wear. And I, d I don't necessarily mean like... Um, I, I hate tuxedos and that level of formal wear, but I do like smart wear. I like, well, you'll have known, I've known you for basically a decade now and I quite, not so much these days or not so much whilst I used to wear Atticus clothing to be on brand, but I wear a lot of ties, but like casual ties. And <laughs> so at the christening that we went to on the weekend, we found out it was smart casual. I told you what I was wearing. You were like, that's that's not smart casual. That's just smart. I'm like, no, 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 but it's, it's, it's a smart casual tie and a smart casual shirt, not yeah. a formal one. <laughs> What's your opinion, uh, Nick? Uh, the christening we went to was Nick's child's christening. And yes. the the dress code was smart casual, we were told. But I don't own any smart clothes anymore. You were there uh, in a t-shirt. I, I used jacket. to have a lot of suits and fancy stuff. You go boss and all the different things you could get and... I love the idea of it. I think I love the idea of working somewhere where you wear a suit, but then realistically I work in a bike shop and I start off with the nice clothes in the bike shop, Levi jeans and things like that. Um, and you get ruined. So now I own one pair of nice jeans, which I wear for every Nice jeans isn't, isn't formal wear though. <laughs> no, well, for me it is the most formal it's going to get. Keep sending your suggestions to Wild Ones podcast at cademedia.co.uk and we might read yours out in the next show. Next up, it's time for Fluff Up of the Week. Um, so this is going to be very short. We don't have a Fluff Up of the Week. And what I've learned from that is all of our issues historically <laughs> have come from Francis. And he is the source of all of our challenges and burdens. Because without him being here now for the fourth week... It's it's nothing goes wrong. I mean, I feel like last week we were scraping with that one as well. We really had to think hard about. What was it last week? It was Nick not picking up his wife, but he did pick up his wife. Everything <laughs> was fine. It's a good thing he's not coming back. So now, for more listeners take over, we have a question from Nathan. First of all, he says, "Love your videos. Thank you very much, Nathan." Can you ask Nick if he's able to install Challenge Strada Bianca Pro tubeless tires and install Silka sealant at the same time? These tyres are hard enough to install without the non-injectable sealant. Combine the two and watch the grief escalate beyond belief. Nathan. So, this question, firstly on this, we need to do a correction on the channel. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jimmy having Tanwell tyres that he didn't like. They were really smooth, or sorry, slippery. Um, and we said challenge, sorry, not challenge, Victoria courses, they were actually challenge Strada Biancas. These exact tyres <laughs> in 30mm We fit your white bike. So yes, I have yeah. those as well. Yes. Uh, I was actually quite shocked because the first time you bought a set of me, when I just met you guys, um, I asked if you wanted it fitted. And you guys said no. And I'm not going to lie. I secretly laughed inside thinking like, <laughs> good luck with this one. I'll see you soon. Um, and you managed to fit it. There's a mega trick me, to it. Yeah. I used to run it as a joke in the bike shop with the new employees uh, saying they can have a day off work paid if they can fit the tires faster than me. Start off and then walk away and make a cup of coffee. And they'd be like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm giving you a half an hour head start over here. I'd always <laughs> win still to do it. There's a trick to them that are incredibly hard to fit. If you are going to run silica sealant, you can do it, but you would have to essentially get it right to the end, pour it in, and then slowly rotate it to have the sealant on the opposite of the side of the tire while you fit it. What I would say on that topic, though, is this is a massive issue with tubeless tires. If your tires are that hard to fit, they're not made to your standard. Uh, this is a thing that was an issue back in the day. Tires and wheels, things with different sizes. And some wheel manufacturers made the wheels bigger. Some tire manufacturers made the tires smaller or bigger. Um, 
to kind of make it work in tubeless. But since the ERTO standards have been placed, tires should be made to an exacting standard. So you shouldn't really struggle that much to fit your tire. If it is struggling, then you need to look into either changing your tires or your wheels. So next, we have a question from Phil. I've recently signed up for the Austrian Ironman and was was wondering what the best clip-on bars to look at or should I get a dedicated tri-bike? Also, if either of you had any tips in this field, that would be greatly appreciated. I'm riding a Condor Altec Plus frame with Data Zero 100 compact bars, 38 mil. Cheers. Well, I, I've this this is my old world, so yeah, I've definitely got experience. I know, but I, I'm the only one that's done an Ironman, and yeah, so you did Iron an Ironman, yeah. yeah, full Ironman. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. He, he ran it in flip flops. I forgot my shoes, <laughs> so what? I ran in flip flops. Do you not know about this? No. What? A story, a story for another day. No, it's a story for now. Why did you do that? Well, I didn't want to. Uh, I was in the <laughs> army at the time. I was in the army at the time, and I got offered a trip to South Africa uh, to go and do Ironman. Short notice, didn't get much time to train for it. Um, got there, uh, borrowed a bike. I actually rented a lady's wetsuit the day before because that's the only thing I could get. <laughs> um, and somehow forgot to leave my shoes in the bag that you put in the day before. So I finished bike leg. This is a very short version. Got in, realized I didn't have any shoes to run with. Um, I'm a size 13 shoe. And some kid sitting next to me gave me a set of size nine flip-flops. <gasps> um, and I stuck them on. And ran the Ironman. And you did it. In the marathon. I finished all the, uh, all the doing it is. Did you actually keep the, am I right in saying that there were, you grew up in South Africa and I don't know whether it's a joke that people say about you or not. <laughs> did you not wear shoes for a long time? Oh yeah, period I didn't wear shoes childhood. in school or anything yeah, until about 13, 14. So would it not have just been easier to not wear shoes? Yes, uh, barefoot would have been much better for me in hindsight. But at that point, I'd been in England for a while. My feet became soft. Okay. Um, and I was more worried about glass and thorns and Fair things enough. like that. And also just wear and tear on my feet of running a marathon. But uh, presumably barefoot. half of your foot was still hanging off these nights. Off the back, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously the middle of the flip-flops tore through my toes. Uh, after oh. the first lap, I put a pair of socks on. Um, that I went over my feet just inside the shoe. But was it a full Ironman? You full did Ironman, a yeah, marathon? Full, yeah, full marathon. Um, I got five stress fractures on my foot, or oh, on both a three and one and two in the other one, from the way your toes grip onto flip flops to run. Um, I, I remember you telling me about this, and you, and you said something like, if you didn't complete it, you would have got into so much trouble that you just had to get yeah, it finished. Yeah, well, you're in the army. Like, it's called bad admin for getting your shoes. So I thought, you know, I could get bad admin by not doing shoes or complete it and look like I had loads of determination done it, but obviously ruined my feet in any way. And then got a medical discharge. So, you I mean, I was never going to be really. a fast runner, really. but it took me seven hours to get around the marathon. I ran the no. first two laps, went fairly well. And then by the third lap, I was just limping around and stumbled across. Um, yeah, I was ruined. Uh, anyway. So should we go back to the question? Yeah. Yeah, so the difference between getting clip-on bars and a dedicated TT bike is many thousands of pounds. <laughs> so I would definitely say start with clip-on TT bars and see how you get on with them. Uh, I know Redshift do quite an interesting one. I can't even remember how much it's cost, but it, you can clip it on and off. So even if you just leave the mounts on, you can clip the, the extensions on whenever you want to train on them. Uh, USE, which is also Exposure Lights, they used to do one. and I had a set many years ago. I'm sure there's tons of companies out there now which is, which are doing clip-on TT bars. Definitely start there, in my opinion, and probably go cheap because you might find you hate them. Or what you might do is learn the type of bar that you might like. For example, when I use clip-ons, a lot of clip-on bars back then used to come with straight bars, which puts my wrists in a horribly uncomfortable position. So I wanted to get, I think they're called praying mantis bars, where it like turns up at the end instead um, but I'm sure it's come on a long way from when I was buying them. I wouldn't say get a dedicated TT bike if you're just doing one Ironman because there's just no point. Get some clip-ons, see how you get on with them. That, that's the one and only ever triathlon I've done. I will never <laughs> do one again. Um, so it would have been a massive waste of money of buying, yeah. <laughs> Someone once said to me who, so a guy I used to train with, uh, Di Woodsford, is a massive, massive long distance uh, triathlete, has done Norseman and just, just loads and loads of stuff. One of the first times I ever rode with him and I was just like, I don't know how you do this, like really, really long distance stuff. And he said to me, an Ironman is basically an eating competition. It isn't actually about 
any of the you you can ride the distance you can run the distance assuming you've done some training the important thing is you eat consistently you eat enough you eat, and if you do you're going to keep going it gets goes beyond that as well because obviously i didn't train properly for mine but all i got told repeatedly and it did work was work out what your max heart rate is uh don't go over 75 percent at all but also try to not go under 65%. Just sit in that sweet spot. Don't worry about who overtakes you or if somebody, don't fall into don't the race. trap of trying to race anybody. It's You're racing against yourself. If you just, it's your first one trying out. Stick to 70 to 75% of your heart rate for everything, no matter what. And that'll be the most efficient. Every time you go over that 75 or into your lactate, lactate threshold, you are going to burn matches that you're going to pay for when you're running. Mm. Um, and remember your shoes. <laughs> you can also go lower than 65 if you want. You can, but what I mean is, I'm trying to say if you want to optimize your time, because lower than 65 is not going to benefit you, well, it's just going to be slower. I, I think that's speculation. It's going to be based on many factors. The point is, go easy, but not too easy. Yeah. Definitely don't go hard. Don't burn your matches. Remember your shoes. Keep sending us your stories, questions, and fun stuff to wildonespodcast at cademedia.co.uk. Before we go, I just want to say a massive thank you to you all. Thanks for listening. Thank you to those of you that have left a five-star review. Thanks to those on YouTube that are liking and subscribing. It really makes a massive difference to us. Your continued support is what allows us to keep putting out this show for free. So please keep doing what you are doing. Thank you. We appreciate it. Cheers and goodbye. We love you. <laughs> on to the next one. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everyone. Peace and love. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> 